Yeah, happy Pride weekend. Thank you. Today's the big day of the Today parade. It is the big day of the parade. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, last Sunday in June. Yep. It's been a whole month of festivities. <laughs> it has. It's been going it on for quite some time. It's now like Gay Pride Month, <laughs> yep. I think they yep. call it. We're just going to have a Gay Pride summer eventually, I think. <laughs> but what's great is what it's really become now is equality for all. It's really become a, a parade about yeah. so much more than LGBTQ rights. Yeah. I don't know. It's just been yeah. about acceptance and love and it's important. It's a beautiful thing. Well, happy summer to you, Booth Oneers. Uh, we finally burst the bonds of what was a pretty crappy spring, I think, <laughs> um, here in Chicago at least. And the weather has turned to the famous, spectacular Chicago summer style we're so fond of. Street festivals, outdoor music venues around, and the crowds downtown are actively in search of all of the cultural pleasures that this city offers. I'm pleased to have alongside me in the co-host chair today, theater director, actor, and all-around nicest guy in the world, <laughs> I think. Thank Stephen you, Shellhart. Um, our, our loyal listeners will recall that Stephen previously was on uh, a Booth One episode number 38. Oh, that seems like a long time ago. <laughs> when we reported from Writers Theater here in Glencoe, Illinois, on their production of Sondheim's Company, Stephen was at the time producing... Yeah, I was associate producer and casting director there. Associate producer, and casting director. we had just, I think, opened Company. Uh, you did. We were at Writers, and he was uh, our guest during a lively panel discussion of all things Sondheim in front of that live audience. Oh, it was great to have Booth one at Writers. It was a wonderful day. <laughs> the live audience was terrific. If you have not ever heard that episode, go back to episode 38 and, and have a listen. It's it's kind of a timeless episode. Again, all things Sondheim. And it's a thrill to have him back on the program as my co-host. Welcome to episode 60. Wow, Booth episode one. 60. Tell us what's been going on with you recently our audience doesn't know all that much about your current career sure. uh, there's some exciting news i hear yeah I've, I've, it's been a, a busy spring i left writers in february to pursue some more directing work and more teaching opportunities mm -hmm. so i directed year in town at boho theater which just received it received eight jeff nominations eight um, eight yes which was fantastic for a small little nonprofit company that um, is all volunteer. It's yeah. nice to see just recognition for for that company. And that was fantastic. And then I went right into My Fair Lady at the Lyric Opera. Mm -hmm. um, Saw you. Um, yeah. I tried to pick you, you out of could, the crowd. Did you have binoculars? You were great in the Ascot race scene. <laughs> Thank you. Mixed in there with <laughs> a bunch of people. Yes. And that was, I mean, that was a completely different experience. That Lyric Opera is massive and wonderful and uh Opera is such a different art form. Yeah, we haven't talked about the My Fair Lady production on the podcast, really. It was it's, was lavish and gigantic. It was. It's like the My Fair Lady you'll never, ever see again, because <laughs> yes. it's just too expensive to do. And when the chorus finally came out of the wings for mm. whatever number that was. A little bit of second. luck, uh, Yeah, with a little bit of luck. They just kept coming and coming and coming and coming. <laughs> it was so fantastic. Yes. It was like all of London came it's out. That's when you think, yeah, Henry Higgins has about 80 servants in his house. It was The number was just <laughs> so yeah. many people working there. It was a beautiful production. Uh, you're you. so it fortunate was. to have been in it. I, uh, yes, and just to do a show with a 38-piece orchestra. I mean, there's nothing like it. Nothing right? like that it. That score. So. Uh, and those musicians. Yeah. I mean, they're all 
they're all just first rate. Yeah. So that was really fun. And now I'm getting ready to teach at Northwestern University in the fall. I'm going to uh, teach musical theater. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Which, thank you. Wow. I'm extremely excited about it. And it's actually a great mix of everything I've sort of done, you know, directing, producing, teaching, being in the room with eager wonderful talent that's about sure. to go out into the world. And your background in casting will also come in handy when yes. you're talking to these students about, yeah. well, you may be the most talented person in the world, but how do you actually get a part? Absolutely. How do you audition well? And what are people looking for when they go to an audition? Yeah, well, and I went to Carnegie Mellon, which was a conservatory, which was great. And I loved it there. But I, I did find that my experience was one that had uh, most of my teachers were busy teaching and, and not able to get out and, and work. And Northwestern is really good at saying, you know what, we want our professors to be working in the field currently and to be bringing back information that they can then give to the students and, and, and be uh, fresh and current. And so I feel really lucky to be able to to still direct and still perform and bring all of the stuff I'm learning back with me to my class and to my students. You're about to appear in a production of Madagascar? I am Madagascar live at Chicago Shakespeare. Who's directing that? Rachel Rockwell. Our friend Rachel Rockwell. She was on a few weeks ago. Yes, she's she is a brilliant friend, an amazing director, and a force in the Chicago theater yeah, scene for sure. Yeah, now is this, this production is going to be meant for families and, and children? Or? Absolutely. If you've seen the movies, I mean, it really is the movies on stage. I'm playing Melman the giraffe. I was going to ask. Yes, what, what, the what hypochondriaffe, um, who is <laughs> is just constantly thinking he's sick and uh, counting yeah. his spots yeah. to make sure he still has the same number he did yesterday. Have you had any costume fittings yet? Oh, Have yes. you had to go? You know, I right? did. We, this is a production that was at the Marriott this spring, and it was directed by Matt Raftery, who's another great director in the city. Jesus Perez is the, the costume designer, and he really used amazing inspiration from the movie and from fabrics and colors. And so I did that production, and I thought it was going to be a remount at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, but now it's turning into, with a new director um, and a new venue, a sort of a, a new production. So I went in and had a costume fitting, and my costume's different. It's great. They've sort of um, but you played it. you played I the played giraffe the same role. You're, you're you're the same giraffe, yes. but it's it's different. It's a little different. Yeah, they've taken the idea of him being sort of this <laughs> hypochondriac and made his costume a little more sad. I mean, it's a little more droopy. <laughs> oh no! Um, and he has <laughs> thermometers coming out of his pocket. So oh. I mean, and Rachel does that. You know, she yeah. takes something that is already sort of a really great idea and and makes it greater. Yeah. She just uh, puts her spin on things, and, and she's definitely going to have her stamp on this production. Well, we've been uh, dark for the last couple of weeks, mostly because my producer and I, we took a extended trip, I guess extended is one way to put it, five days, to New York City. Wow. And what we decided to do was not see any friends, <laughs> not stay at a fancy hotel, uh, not go out to fancy dinners, which you can do quite easily. Quite easily uh, yeah. So we decided to just make it a theater trip. We saw uh, six shows in five days. Wow. It was a marathon, and we stayed at the Hotel Edison, which is just, just steps right away there. from Times Square. It's a bit of a madness hotel. You every... put yourself in the heart of it. <gasps> we sure did. <laughs> I mean... one, one show, all we had to do was 
walk out the door and cross the street. <laughs> it was perfect. Uh, we so never convenient. had to go more than two blocks in one direction or another wow. uh, to to see whatever it was we were seeing. So I want to talk about some of those shows today and get your take on sure. what you know about them. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you've been to New York recently. You no, know, my last trip was actually in the fall of last year. I mean, it was when a lot of some of these shows that um, are now huge hits uh, yeah. were just starting out or not even open yet. But man, how do you pick the shows that you're going to see when you go for five days? How did you do that? Well, we, we picked two in advance, and then we just decided to wing it while we were there. Either go to the booth, sure. walk up to the, the box office, yeah. see what's on. Today Ticks, yeah. I guess it's called now. I mean, there's just so much to choose from. I feel like yeah. this Broadway season has been rich with uh, original stuff, revivals, amazing stars coming back. And it's very exciting to walk down the streets and past the theaters and go, wow, yeah, there's that, there's that, there's that. Yeah. I've heard great things about this. I've heard great things about that. Well, uh, we saw four plays wow. and two musicals. I want to talk about each of them. Let me start with something that unfortunately closes today. It's a straight play called Sweat. Yes. It's Lynn Nottage. Mm -hmm. And it's a Pulitzer Prize winning and a beautiful play. This is going to have a lot of legs in the regional theater world sure. because it's a nice, even cast of men and women, mm -hmm. smallish cast. Essentially, you could get away with one set and maybe a little side set. Okay. So there's not a lot of places that you have to be. And it's about a group of working class people in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, right. It's very, very of the moment. The factory's going to close. Mm -hmm. People are going to get laid off of work. And the main action takes place in this bar where the workers hang out. And there's a, a great surly bartender <laughs> just it feels very much like a chicago sure. bar it's going to play like very collar yeah town. it's going to play very very well here in chicago That's whenever great. it comes uh, either it go, the national tour doesn't it go back in different uh doesn't it start in 2000 and 2008 it does and it keeps That's moving so forward cool. and it keeps moving backwards they were very smart they put these projections up really quickly mm -hmm. of what month and year it was wow. so you could at least get a sense of what time frame you were in yeah. and get a sense of whether you were moving backwards or forwards. And then they they move way forward in time at one point and do a little scene, but then you go back to what is essentially the present moment for them. Yeah. As I said, it's a wonderful play, and it's going to do very well regionally. You'll see it here in not too long a time, I'm sure. One thing we didn't get to see was Paula Vogel's play, Indecent. Oh, Indecent, Paula Vogel. And I just uh, read that, well, they had posted closing notice as well did. for today, and on Thursday, Daryl Roth, yep. producer, decided that ticket sales seemed to be picking up, and there was great uh, vocal response from the public about yep. wanting to see that show. So they've kept it open. I know. Isn't that amazing? They pulled the closing I, notice. I, it brought joy to my heart hearing that because I feel like, in especially now, so much feedback can be had from social media, from fans that are seeing these shows, that are passionate about these shows. The, the fact that not only did the audiences respond in the way they respond to the closing notice, but the fact that the producers listened and said, you know what, we're going to keep it open a little longer so more people can, can see it. 
I think that is what it's about. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's great. Unfortunately, we did not have time to see that play, but I'm hoping again that that will have a long life in, in the, the regional, regional market, market uh, and we will get to see it. Let's touch upon a musical that we saw, and I have to give a shout out to Roscoe, our mm-hmm. uh, usual Me. co-host. <laughs> yes, you're in the Me Roscoe the chair. Can I'm you feel honored. his presence? I do. He, uh, some months ago, reported on seeing Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812, and his review of it was... I'm not going to say it was unkind. He just didn't get it. <laughs> sure, he didn't respond a, to it. And, and I, I was a little dismissive of his opinion about it without actually having seen the show, <laughs> because that's what we do. That's we can talk about do, that. Yes. And so we decided to hit up a sound designer friend that we know here oh, wow. who has lots of friends in uh, New York working, mm-hmm. and he knows the sound designer on this particular oh, show. And so he got us these premium seats, the ones that uh, have a little cafe table next to it, although they're they're in the, quote, orchestra section, but we were right in the well, middle. Well, isn't Natasha Pierre, isn't the show in the round? Isn't the stage sort of it immersive? It is. There's a big stage, a seating, tiered, uh, like bench work. Yeah. Uh, we were not able to get any seats there. And on retrospect, I'm not sorry about that. I wouldn't, I don't think I'd want to be that close to sure. the performers. And sometimes they sit at your table. <laughs> I know, they come right up And to talk you. to you. <laughs> jo- Josh Groban comes up to you and says stuff, oh and then turns gosh. around and sings a song. We had wonderful seats, and the spectacle of the piece is, well, I would say not to be missed if you can. Sure, well, if you watch the Tonys, I mean, even that performance on the Tony Awards, it was a spectacle. Quite Um, something. Let me ask you this, because I haven't seen it, but I'm I'm fascinated. It started out at Ars Nova in New York, which is a tiny Tiny room, yeah. Intimate. And then to move a show like that... It had several incarnations after that, but to move it to Broadway and put it in a, a, a theater that has a thousand some seats, how did that translate? Did you feel like it was a show that was, did you feel intimate when you were watching it? Did it feel like a chamber musical, which they sort of bill it as, or did it feel like they, they might have lost a little bit in that transfer into a bigger space? Or did they just make it more of a spectacle? All good questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> I could see the essential intimacy of the play, Mm -hmm. of the piece, uh, even while I was watching this gigantic a spectacle, you know, there's a runway that right. runs down the middle of the People orchestra. People are playing instruments. People are playing instruments next to you in the aisles. There's a little runway in front of the band that's sitting inside this little well in front of the set. Wow. Of course, we were in the orchestra section, so we're actually staring at all the people on stage as yeah. well. And they're looking back at us, and <laughs> we're looking back at them. And so it, they, they attempted in that way to create a very... We're all experiencing uh, this together. It, yes, that, very interactive experience. Uh, we did see Josh Groban in the show. I hear he's wonderful. He, Fellow CMU grad. He was he was fantastic. That's what I hear. And he had a fantastic voice mm-hmm. and a, quite a good actor as well. Yeah, I think people don't people know Josh Groban as Josh Groban, the amazing voice and singer. And and he's a musical theater. He started in musical theater. And yeah, and there's a lot of references by many of the characters about his character being portly, overweight, <laughs> fat. So he's wearing this bit of a fat suit. It wasn't it wasn't enormous. Sure. Uh, you know, he didn't look like Burl Ives or anything <laughs> like that. One thing I did love about the costume though was that they had a bit of fat padding on his 
on his rear, rear end, end so that you know you, you don't have this figure. fat guy on top and then this slim Josh Groban on the bottom. <laughs> little hey, Josh hey, Groban. Little Josh Groban. <laughs> I will say, all in all, I was underwhelmed by really? the piece itself. I didn't feel the heart of it. Sure. Until the last 20 minutes, which had me kind of weepy, but only because of those 20 minutes, not because of the two hours and <laughs> 20 minutes it. that came before it. Interesting. I, I was not overly engaged in the story, the plot, the, well, the underlying passion or emotion that's supposed to be right. going on. I thought some of it was a stretch. And it's an operetta too, right? I mean, it's sung through. There's very little dialogue. Very the little. There might be a line here or there, but generally it's just sung through. I thought all the performers did a, a, a fantastic job. They were all very committed to this style. Yeah, I think you would have to be. This fairly presentational style, which then morphs sometimes into a, a, a more intimate emotional style mm -hmm. and then breaks again into this giant spectacle, interactive spectacle. Sure. I, I'm not surprised that the Tony Awards, they yeah, didn't. I mean, I think it was nominated for, for 12, which was 12, huge. And it, was, it won, and it won two, set and lighting. Two, yeah, which is still Which it deserved. So. That's kind of my take. I think our producer had somewhat of the same uh, reaction to it. I'm glad I stayed for the whole thing. <laughs> sure. I hear I do hear that it's long. It's very long. <laughs> and the and the ending is worth it. As I said, twenty minutes is, is really worth it. And it's really all about Josh Groban and a couple of other characters yeah. in the in the ending piece. And you really you really get involved and I'm thinking to myself, why couldn't I have been this involved two hours ago? Right. Somewhat sure. more. So Well, I had a friend who saw it and they said that the same thing. They said, see it because there's nothing else like it on Broadway right now, and there's nothing else like it that I've seen in a while. Will you be changed by it, or will you respond to it? Who knows, but you should see it. So I'm It didn't make me want to read War and Peace. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's a shame. No, no. <laughs> you know, there are some shows that are yes. adapted from novels or mm -hmm. nonfiction source material that yeah. you that make you want to read the original source material. Yeah, <laughs> this one didn't quite didn't quite goose me in that direction. Let's move on to another show we saw. Lori Medcalf in A Doll's House Part oh, 2. Chicago's own Lori Medcalf. Um, I, I was not excited about going to this play in the first place. Why not? Was it the... Um, I mean, were you a are you a fan of Ibsen's A Doll's House? Not particularly. Sure. The things that I had read about it, other than Lori Medcalf's performance, right. was something not to be missed. The whole premise of it didn't really excite me. Mm -hmm. However, I was talked into going, and uh, I thought, I'll just buy it into it sure. and see what happens, because the execution of the premise is really then what you need to see. Well, the curtain rises, and there's <laughs> this just this sort of room uh -huh. with, a, with a door, a gigantic door, upstage center, and the first thing you hear is... Knock, knock, knock. Well, I laughed. <laughs> I was the only one in the audience that laughed because I knew what the device mm -hmm. was, and I was so excited she's about what was. After her. I was excited about what was going to come. Yep. You know, after the door, and nobody, nobody goes to the door, <laughs> and you hear the thing again, and I laughed again, <laughs> even harder, until Jane Howdy Shell comes shuffling out yep. from the wings to open the door. Lucas Nath is the playwright. Lucas of Nath, this. yes, and he's one. He's wonderful. His plays, I mean, his play, The Christians. We reported on The Christians. 
questions quite extensively some uh, some great. podcasts Did, ago. Um, uh, a death tax was at Looking Glass, and Isaac's Eye was at Writers Theater a couple seasons ago. He's great, and he has a very specific style of writing, which is actually why I'm interested to see a Doll's House because it's it's different for him. I hear it's really funny. I hear that if you you should be laughing at that door knock. I think. I did. Again, I was the only person. <laughs> well, that's a great cast, too. I mean, Chris Cooper is in that, right? Indeed. Condola Rashad. Yep. They all And they all got nominated, all yep. four of them. And I was in complete agreement with those nominations after I saw this. I thought the piece could have been, well, this is trite to say, but longer. I thought that there were mm. issues and themes that were brought up that could have been further explored. explored. Mm -hmm. I felt the same way about the Christians, but Laurie Metcalf was just a dream. I don't doubt it. I mean... As I'm watching it, I'm thinking, this must have been what it would be like to have seen Catherine Hepburn on the stage. Oh, wow. Or Betty Davis Mm -hmm. on a Broadway stage. She really, truly is one of the greatest actresses. She's not necessarily a star mm-hmm. star when you when you put it that way. She's not an above the title type star, but she should be. Yeah. That was a star turn and she made the piece yeah, work in so many ways. I saw her a long time ago in Frankie and Johnny at uh, Steppenwolf after Roseanne. I mean, that's where I came to know her most, but seeing her on stage she just has a way, I feel like, of making you, one, listen to the language and also make you feel like you're right in the palm of her hand. Yeah, I didn't see all of the nominated performances, but I can't imagine anybody was better than Laurie than Metcalf, Metcalf in this piece. And well worth the time uh, it took, the brief 80 minutes it took to see it. You know, I feel like a lot of shows are doing that. That's becoming more popular uh, is the, the, the no intermission, 85 to 90 minute in and out. And and it works, I think, yeah. for some shows. Yeah. And for some shows, I don't know if it does. You know? Yeah, I didn't feel cheated necessarily, not like I did when I walked out of Glengarry Glen Ross when I first saw it on Broadway and I looked at my watch and it was like 922 <laughs> and I said, what do I do for the rest of the night? Yeah, There's right? n- all the restaurants are empty. There's no one to socialize with because they're all in the theaters. You've already uh, spent uh, the money that you would have spent for the dinner. The street was the dark ticket. all the way down <laughs> because uh, well, I, I, and I felt cheated by, by that experience. Sure. I didn't feel cheated by this, but again, I think that there were themes. That could have and, been expanded upon. Yeah, that could have been expanded upon. But who am I? I'm not the playwright. <laughs> this sure. is what Lucas decided yeah. to do, and uh, Laurie Metcalf is a genius. Absolutely. Yeah, she is, and so is he. I'm glad he's his work is being recognized. Something similar to that that we saw, well, I wouldn't say similar, but of a period piece was uh, The Little Foxes. Oh, Lillian uh, Lillian Hellman's Little Foxes with... Laura Linney, Cynthia Nixon. Indeed. And we saw it with Laura Linney playing the uh, lead role and Cynthia Nixon playing her supporting role, which is Birdie, what they yeah. were which is what they were nominated for. Phenomenal. Just phenomenal. That's what I hear. They switch roles, Laura yeah. Lenny and Cynthia yeah. Nixon in, in mm-hmm. opposing performances. And I think that's brilliant. I mean, one, it's a great marketing tool. It makes people want to buy tickets twice when you have such powerful, incredible uh, women on stage. But it's also just, I think, a fantastic idea. Yeah, Laura Linney's idea. They were great together. I'm glad I saw this combination. I'm trying to imagine the other combination. I can't quite picture it because they were so both perfect 
for the parts that they were playing which, that, that day. Sure, which is funny because I read somewhere that the parts that they were nominated for were the parts they felt were furthest away from them. And that's that's also interesting is the ones that audiences are responding more to are the characters they feel are farthest away from yeah, themselves. A wonderful play. And, and talk about exploring all the themes and all the possible nuances sure. of a play. This is a great play by a great playwright in a beautiful, beautiful production. I, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sorry it's it sort of short-lived. While. Well, it's at Manhattan Theater Club, uh, so they tend to have shorter runs because they're a subscription house. Yeah. Richard Thomas of the Waltons is in this, and he was a revelation. Was he? Absolutely. (laughs) He comes on as this doddering kind of ill old man. He's not really an old man, but he's supposed to be sick. He's coming from a uh, hospital. He's coming from Johns Hopkins in Baltimore where he's been treated for some undisclosed illness. Or he's got a weak heart and all kinds of things are going on with him, but... He's terrific. Gosh, what a cast. Just terrific in this. The cast was great and uh, a beautiful production. We saw that on a matinee as well. Uh, I'm going to move on to what was our favorite show. You really did see a lot of shows. We did. We did. We saw a musical called Come From Away. This is a musical that actually shouldn't work. Yeah, right. It's it's not necessarily musical theater fodder. Sure. Well, uh, um, yeah. This town in uh, Newfoundland mm-hmm. called Gander, uh, which has a large airport because it was the taking off and and stopover point for uh, transatlantic flights right. uh, for years and years and years before they built jets big enough to go across the Atlantic just on. One tank of gas, I guess, is what you'd call it. So they had this huge airport with these long runways. And in recent years, it's become underused, and they only have about six to ten flights a day stopping in there. This is about Mm 9-11. And when they closed the airspace in the United States, there were planes in the air coming from Europe, uh, going from lots of places. Thousands of passengers that were left in the air. So of a town of about 7,000 people, people, 9,000 people showed up on airplanes and 36 or 38 airplanes. And this musical is about the townspeople welcoming the very anxious, very worried passengers who don't know know what's going on because they were in the air and then they landed on the tarmac and they had no place to go. Some of them were on the planes for two days before they would let them off and they weren't giving them any information. So you can imagine the anxiety going on. And there were children to deal with. Uh, One of the subplots of the uh, show is a local veterinarian who's concerned that there might be animals on the planes. And in fact, there were. There were, in fact, two rare bonobo chimpanzees (laughs) that she had to kind of deal with. Wow! So this is a show about those people of Gander trying to make welcome and take care of these passengers. And it overwhelmed the town. And again, this is a show that should not work, but it is a show with so much heart. Yeah, that's what I hear. If you could take half the heart of this show and put it in Natasha and Pierre, (laughs) they might have a bit of a better hit than this. This show was so heartfelt and so sincere 
that at the end, people stand up for anything these days. I mean, everything gets a standing ovation. Someone will stand and the rest of the audience will stand. And especially in New York, these these Broadway shows are are so beautifully done and beautifully acted that they get that kind of ovation. Well, with this show, when the blackout happened and the entire cast is on the front of the stage because they've just sung the final number mm-hmm. and they're sort of like staring at you. It's a bit of a lay Miz end of act, <laughs> end of act one Catch moment. The moment. Blackout, not even a beat goes by. The crowd roars and leaps to its feet. Even I leapt to my feet <laughs> and they stayed on their feet roaring through the entire curtain call Rarely have I felt a room that excited about having seen a show. Now, you're familiar with well, this show because yeah, you listen I, to the... Um, I listen to the album um, on repeat. Many of my friends said if there's one show you see this season, it's come from away. A lot of people are responding to the story. I just think that that is why I love theaters because I, every night, apparently, they're getting these reactions. And the story is a simple one. It is about humans offering kindness and generosity and accepting every kind of person into their homes and opening their doors. And I think in this time right now, we need a show like that. And so I think audiences are probably responding to that. You know, I didn't know. I had not heard of this. No. I didn't know that all of these planes landed in Newfoundland. I had no idea. And they explain it to you in no uncertain terms, right at the top of the show, in in dialogue. Right. Someone faces the audience, the mayor, the guy who plays the mayor. And Joel he, Hatch, and he who tells is a us, Chicago actor. Very good. I've done some shows with him. He's and great. he tells us this background. Just tells the audience there's music playing underneath the little underscoring and he just tells us the background he yeah. doesn't sing it and you think well this shouldn't work this isn't <laughs> this is a musical i just paid 89 dollars <laughs> for a partial view seat and then, 89 that's but, uh, a good price for a broadway ticket from the yeah we we were way <laughs> off to the side but i went to the box office and that was the best they had for that yeah. day and they were wonderful one set just a bunch of trees off to the side, the musicians are on stage, sitting mm-hmm. by the trees, and then they do the entire thing with one table and about and 12 chairs, different right? chairs. See, yeah. I just think that's that's really when it's just about the story and the music. And a cast of, dare I say, sort of regular, normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill people that yes. you might see on the street. It's so refreshing. Now, they were all extremely talented, and they were not people from the street. <laughs> they were <laughs> right. definitely quality, quality performers, but old people, young mm-hmm. people, middle-aged people. It was really remarkable to see an ensemble like yes. that put together. It feels like it. It sounds like a Chicago show. You would think that a show like that would start in Chicago because of that ensemble nature. I also think that's why people are probably responding to it as well. I mean, they're seeing themselves up on stage mm-hmm. and they have characters that they can relate to and characters from different walks of life. And that, you know, when you go to New York and now you see really, really in-shape dancers dancing their faces off and stars in the leading role. Natasha and Pierre. Yes, you know, you have spectacle. And I think this is, this Come From Away is more of a a quiet, uh, hopeful musical. Yeah, there's no big dance numbers. There's no big production number, but everything works. And they all have their own moments, each of the passengers, each of the townspeople, and they play various roles. They just keep moving about and one day they're the 
taxi driver in, in Gander, uh-huh. and the next scene there... With the uh, pilot. At, or, at the yeah. pilot mm-hmm. on the plane. Uh, just wonderful. If, if you have a chance to see Come From Away anywhere, if it comes near you in any way whatsoever, by all means, Go run, don't walk. I think it's a must-see. Yeah, and take a listen to it, too. I mean, I often do that. I don't know if you do that, Gary. Do you listen to cast albums before yeah. you see shows? Yeah. I tend to. I tend to actually do it first. And I, I tell you, this is Come From Ways on repeat in my car as we speak. Uh, I bet this is uh, one of the shows you're planning to see on your uh, next trip to yes, New York. Yes, absolutely. Which- All of those shows. I don't know if I can do five like you did. Well, it was six. Oh, gosh. Not to put too fine a point oh, on it, Oh, that's right. You Steven. saw another play. You yes. Saw. I'll mention the last play that we saw, and it's called The Play That Goes, Goes Wrong. Wrong. This play won the Tony for Best Set Design, mm-hmm. which it fully deserved. I mean, I'm, the title really says it, <laughs> it right? Is, it is a play that goes wrong. You it's see a, the set be demolished in front of you, I think. It's a community college theater production in England, <laughs> and it's a murder mystery a la Agatha Christie from the get-go. Just about everything that can go wrong with a play does go wrong. I'll mention just one of my favorite portions. There are four actors on stage late in the second act, and the sequence of dialogue between the four of them happens, and it lands on a certain line, which the butler is supposed to then say. (laughs) And it's probably about maybe 20 lines long, and and there, there are various interjections of the four of them. And it comes to the butler to make his last interjection. And he repeats the interjection that he made at the very beginning of this 20-line scene, page, page and a half of dialogue. And the other actors pause a moment, and then the actor who's supposed to have the next line says the next line, but he's gone back a page and a half. <laughs> They do this four times. That's hilarious. You know, I know, I know three times is supposed to be comic <laughs> yes. genius. They go further. They, they did it the third time, and the other actors are getting so frustrated because the butler can't remember what the <laughs> other line is, and he keeps saying the past oh line. Oh, my gosh. You'd think they could just move ahead, but no, they're, you know, they're amateur actors, so they, they're getting so frustrated, and they start, hilarious. Sc- they start screaming angrily, even comic lines. <laughs> they could not be more discombobulated. Oh my gosh. And the audience is finally yelling out to the guy, that's what not the line. The line. Well, wow. we don't know what the next line is supposed <laughs> to be. But it's talk about interactive. Yeah. Uh, there were moments when the audience were yelling back at the actors to tell them, look out for something. Oh my gosh. Or the, the accounting book is underneath the, the sofa and the guy's been looking for it for like 20 minutes. And people it, saying it's under the it's sofa. Under the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> the stories those actors must have of the many, many interactions they've had with the audience. It is a show that is, the producers are the producers from Avenue Q. If yeah. you haven't seen that. And yeah. Something's Rotten, which tells you about the style, but also J.J. Abrams, which is... J.J. Abrams I mean, saw this back in London. In And said, I I could put I could put some bucks behind this. Yeah, so you put those people in a room together, and you're going to have a a riot of a show. It's hilarious, and again, one set, but the set does everything. It's it's just absolutely ingenious. And what an amazing thing for an actor to come to a job and for you to just. 
destroy the set that you are playing on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how rare does yeah. that happen every <laughs> night? And it destroys itself well beyond imagination. That's you can't right. you can't imagine the kinds of things that that set's going to do when you first see it. It's just a laugh riot well, from beginning to end. I just love shows like that. One of my favorite shows is His Noise is Off and Lend Me a Tenor and Inspector mm-hmm. Carol. I mean, you have these farcical plays that don't actually get done very often or, or don't get done enough in my mind. But I am excited to see this one. This should make the rounds as yes. well. Again, one set, it's got to be very cleverly constructed. Sure, and, designer's and dream. Designer's dream and t- to take on tour, but uh, I think that that's well worth seeing. Wow. So those were the six shows that we saw. I will mention one other thing that we did. We saw the Little Foxes at a matinee on a Sunday, and it happened to be Tony Awards Sunday. Oh. And then we were trying to figure out what should we do for the Tony Awards. I guess we could go back to the Hotel Edison and watch them on our little TV, right. or we could find a bar someplace and watch them with a bunch of other people who won't be quiet, sure. who will be ordering drinks just at the point when Kevin Spacey says something hilarious. Right. Well, we decided to try to do something different. So we phoned up Joe Allen, which is oh the, of course, legendary yes. theater hangout couple of posters of shows that I was a stage manager on are actually hanging on the wall in there. Shows you how successful my stage management career was. This is why I'm now behind this microphone. And sure enough, Joe Allen was having a Tony viewing party night reserved. And they were bringing in large screen TVs to put behind the bar and at various corners of the room. I think they brought in four or five. It was a fixed price menu and it was a hundred bucks. For all of it. Yeah, for all of it. It was 100 bucks without cocktails uh, and without gratuity. They passed around these appetizers at the beginning, before the awards show started. I could have filled up on just the appetizers. (laughs) In fact, I think our producer did fill up on the appetizers. Did they do any theme? Do they have, like, drink themes? Some of these places do, you know, like... Yeah, they they were not that... uh, They weren't that fancy. They weren't that fancy. (laughs) You're Joe Allen. You don't have to come up with a theme. You're already already in the theme. theme. They put us at a wonderful table right in front of a big TV, and there was nobody at the bar. So we had this unrestricted view of this giant TV screen in front of us. They cranked up the volume really loud. They had raffles. They had a contest, of course. You could submit a ballot, which I did not. Uh, (laughs) I managed to get 16 out of the 24 right. That's pretty good. But we did enter the raffle. We won the first raffle prize. Two tickets to cats. (gasps) Well, and who doesn't want that? That I was almost embarrassed to go up. Like, you know, Cats is a very polarizing show. Some people absolutely adore it. it. Some people loathe it. I just read that it's closing at the end of the year. It is December 30th. I have many friends who are in that show on Broadway right now. (laughs) Yeah, I have a couple of friends too who are in the show. Well, we're not going to be able to go back, so I'm going to offer them to you as a uh, thank you for... Coming on the show today. And you can go anytime. You just call up this number well, and you say, nice I want to go this day, this day, or this day. Better hurry up before yes, the 30th before of we've got to get December. to New York. Or you can give it to a friend of yours who's is, in New York. You well, know. no, I'm going to take those tickets. You're welcome. And we, they, they handed out wonderful party favors. There was free Prosecco Ugh. to start with. So you got to keep the Prosecco flute, which has the Joe Allen logo on it. Uh, we got these wonderful tins full of <laughs> Joe Allen mints. That's for you. We got an extra one here. You can have that one as well. It was a really great night. Yeah, I thought it was a great ceremony. I mean, last year, the Tonys were 
dominated by Hamilton. Yeah, you it know, wasn't so an it exciting year. It was one of those year. things you wanted to see the performances, and you really. But it, this year, it was across the board. Shows were winning. Yeah, and I think that is great. They because, spread it out pretty well. You know, because not only what the Tonys, uh, the Tonys really show people who can't get to New York or are thinking about going to New York or people who don't get to see these shows what theater is and mm. what the shows are. They really help with ticket sales mm. for many of these shows that yeah. are performing. Um, I know Bandstand, uh, it wasn't nominated for Best Musical, but it performed and won Best Choreography, and now the ticket sales are going crazy for that because it performed on the Tony Awards. So that night for actors and for everyone in the theater world, I mean, it's pretty big. It, it's, it's one of those nights that sort of... Um, you get to celebrate your community, but you also get some some shows get a yeah. longer life because of that. We also got a in the the official Radio City Music Hall program. They had about Tony Award programs oh on each of the tables. If you ever want to do something for the Tonys, go to Joe Allen one time. Well, now that I have my there. mints, that, yeah. I feel like I'm a member. I don't know what they taste like, but I <laughs> imagine they taste like Broadway. <laughs> they taste like Broadway. My career yeah. is starting. Other things that are happening in New York, and I wanted to get your take on this, Stephen. Um, sure. This show is uh, now closed, but the uh, public, Shakespeare in the Park, yes. was doing a recent production of Julius Caesar. Mm -hmm. And the character of Caesar was costumed and made up a la a Donald Trump character. Yes. Corey Stoll played uh, the role of Julius Caesar. Corey Stoll's in House of Cards, uh -huh. Girls. Yeah. He's done a lot. He just wrote about his experience yeah. uh, with that show. There's been a lot of press and there have been a lot of protests on the show because Trump supporters were quite upset at the assassination scene. <laughs> right. <laughs> which, which is crazy because, you know, a couple of years ago, they did Julius Caesar up at the Guthrie yeah, and they, uh, had, they, they had an Obama character-like character mm -hmm. playing Julius Caesar. And no one seemed to be upset about that. What I want to get your take on, sure. though, is art imitating life, imitating art imitating life again, which our society seems to be going through. Yeah. And there were protesters at Julius Caesar, in running, fact. Running up on running stage. Running up on stage Just, yeah. uh, towards the having, end of people the... People were having to be uh, removed from the... Uh, forcibly for, removed. Forcibly removed, yeah. I and mean, then uh, later on in the play, the way it was directed, just before Mark Antony does his big speech... Mm -hmm. There were plants of actors in the audience who were part of the protest. Part of the protest and part of the, and part of the they were supposed to be Roman citizens yeah. and they had the they had lines. People got very confused about, about who, who were the was, protesters, yeah. who were the actors in I the bet. play. Talk about interactive. Yes, and I'm sure they didn't think it was gonna be as interactive as it became. Look, everyone has a, a different opinion of it. I think that is art. I mean, art is meant to challenge and it's meant to provoke sometimes and make you expand on something that you might not have thought about before. And yes, I think I was surprised by how, why this production, specifically with all the productions in the past of Julius Caesar, that there's always something that's sort of you're mirroring from what's going on in society now. But I, I do think that, it, you know, it's making people read up on Shakespeare. It's making more people know about Julius Caesar. It's making more people see theater that might not have seen it before. Yeah. Corey Stoll, who wrote in the article, he said, you know, we were never harmed. No one was harmed on stage. It was alarming, but it was something that was also exhilarating to see. It's a conversation that is sparking a lot of debate 
And I think that's what art is. I mean, we're supposed to hold up a mirror to society, and sometimes that it's not a pretty picture, but and we still sometimes have to hold not. it up. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes there are people who object to the picture. But what an amazing experience for those theater goers and i say amazing both in a horrified yeah. and in a and an exhilarating way yeah look i think as long as what's happening is that conversations are starting from it and constructive debate is happening i think when we start closing down shows or pulling sponsorship or doing things like that, I think that's when it can become an issue because what this world needs right now is more art and more stories being told in different ways and uh, taking classics and making them contemporary and taking current stories and, and making them into something. That's what we need. We don't need for people to be pulling funds from the arts because they're offended by a certain point of view. So there's a fine line, I think, especially as producers and people who are picking seasons for shows, there's a way, I think, to say, let's have this conversation. Corey Stoll, in this article I read that he was reading, he said when he signed on to do Julius Caesar, he did not know that his character would be modeled after Trump until he got into his costume fitting. And so when he signed on for the play, he didn't know that. He knew that obviously there were contemporary issues that were being paralleled here. But so I I wonder, you know, when you push the line that far and you're giving an actor an actual costume that looks like a very specific person, that's iffy in my mind sometimes. I think that you can push the boundary and you can uh, be subtle about things. Mm-hmm. To each their own. They, they weren't <laughs> subtle was, and they got a response. Definitely unsubtle. <laughs> yes. And they, they probably got the response that maybe they were anticipating. Yeah. Maybe more so than they were anticipating, but certainly you can't uh, deny the fact that it was going to have um, an, impact. an impact and a Absolutely. provocative response. This season that you just went to, the, all the plays you just talked about, that is what's happening. Come from away is telling uh, a story about a community of people who open their doors for others. Why are we responding to that? Because in this time, I feel like maybe that's what we're yearning for or we're wanting to do. Uh, Sweat is dealing with people losing jobs, blue collar workers not knowing where the next paycheck is coming from, having families, having friendships that are being destroyed uh, by the economy. I mean, that's happening now. That's current. This play, Dear Evan Hansen, dealing with issues that are happening um, uh, with mental health. That's why this is so exciting. It's mm. because this has been happening for years. People are just now taking more notice to it because we're, we're in such a divisive time, I think, in our country and in our world. Through all of it and through all of sometimes the negativity and sometimes the unconstructive ways that we're communicating with each other in our lives, people are having conversations and people are being forced to deal with their own biases and solidifying their own opinions about things. Yeah. That's what it's about. Well, yeah. Emotions and passions and opinions um, are at a very volatile point. You know, there's that old Chinese proverb of may you live in interesting times. Uh Well, we are. And uh, a lot of things are going to provoke a response that maybe didn't provoke a response before. Right. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an um, incredible time to be an artist. I have something I needed to mention talking about artists. Um, have you read that Daniel Day-Lewis is retiring from acting? I did read that. I feel like it was deja vu. I feel like I've read that before. I've did, hasn't he retired from acting like every June? He used to. Well, he, he, <laughs> he, he, his career has been full of him having 
hiatuses, hiatuses yeah. where he'd take five years off sure. and then Scorsese would convince him to be in Gangs of New York and, and he'd, he'd do that and then you'd not hear from him yeah. again until Lincoln. <laughs> um, this time it sounds like an official announcement. One of only um, three men to win three Oscars and he's right. the only man who's won three Oscars I mean, for leading, leading actor. Role, yeah. my, my left foot, Lincoln and There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. I mean he's brilliant. He's a brilliant actor and I'm sad to I'm sad that he says he's retiring. I'm eager to see the movie that brings him back maybe in a couple years. Maybe um, it'll be like a Star Wars movie where he'll yes. play like really, really, really old um, <laughs> Luke Skywalker. Yes. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but do you know the other two actors who have won three Oscars? Oh, my gosh. No. That's hard. I mean. Jack Nicholson. Okay. I'll give you that one. Now here's my second guess. Two best actor, one best supporting. And Walter Brennan. Really? Walter Brennan, who I think should have been nominated for <laughs> an Oscar for every performance he's, he's done. done. Every Absolutely. everyone. He's won, three, he won more. he's won three supporting actor Oscars. Wow. Yeah. He and uh, Nicholson and Daniel Day Lewis. Wow. One other uh, uh, item of note, now I've, now I've heard everything, Stephen, uh, longtime listeners of this show will, will know that I have a uh, fear of one thing, and it's sharks. Oh my gosh, Gary, welcome to the club. I am the same way. I just went to California for a week and I got in so much trouble by my sister because I would not go in the water. This is a good thing that you didn't go in the water (laughs) because friend of the show, Christina Tucci, Mm -hmm. who's Stanley Tucci's sister she just sent us a posting they found there were dozens 24 or 25 great white sharks just swimming in the shallow water off south off the south portion of california nightmares and they Um, closed the beaches this is just a couple of days ago really yeah yeah and the pictures of it are astounding yeah i i had three older sisters and they showed me jaws at way too early of an age um, well, the, love to look at the water. The, this this story has just got me flummoxed and and shaking my head. Michael Phelps, you know who Michael Phelps is? Sure Great, do. twenty five for twenty three Olympic gold medals for swimming. Michael Phelps that is going hack. to <laughs> he's going to race a great white shark for Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. Is that real? Um, is that really happening? <laughs> <laughs> That is, I sign me up. Yes. Can he swim faster than a great white shark? Well, we'll find out when uh, this man races on uh, Phelps versus shark, great gold versus great white on July 23rd. So what happens if he doesn't win that race? What, what does the shark win? Is that what's going to happen? Well, it's an event so monumental, no one has ever attempted it before. (laughs) This is according to the Discovery Channel's website. The world's most decorated athlete takes on the screen's most efficient predator, Phelps versus Shark, the race is on. Now, this sounds really cool at its (laughs) core, but I, I have to say that it will only be cool if they're in the same pool. Yes. Well, I would hope that would be the case. I don't know how they're going to pit one against the other and get them to start at the same time. You know, in the same pool, the shark's in one lane, Michael Phelps is in the other, or the shark is chasing Michael Phelps, and let's see if you can (laughs) catch him as he goes. A couple meters head start. What the heck are they thinking? I mean, they will do anything for Shark Week. Well, it, they got me to watch it. I, I will be watching Shark Week now. Well, even if it turns out to be as great as the concept sounds, it, it really is 
uh, no holds barred swimming contest between between Phelps and and a massive godless killing machine. I would like to see the auditions for that, like the sharks. Do they do they race each other to see who the fastest one is? Well, the, yeah, the, the the fastest get a callback. Human being swims on average about two miles an hour. Although Michael oh, wow. Phelps can probably swim. I don't know, 4.5 to 6 miles an hour. I mean, he's pretty darn fast. Yeah, that's right around my, my time. How, how fast do you think a great white shark swims, has been clocked at? Oh, faster than that. <laughs> that's why I don't go in the water. 25 <laughs> to 30 miles an hour. Really? Seems a little one-sided if you ask me. Yeah, wow, he's got to get a head start. What is he thinking? <laughs> what is his agent doing? You know, at this point, when you have that many gold medals, he doesn't what's know the next what thing he to doesn't do? know what to do with himself. You, know, you raise a shark. He he thought that he was going to maybe get really good at golf and become a competitive golfer. Right. Well, that never panned out. <laughs> and now he's racing sharks on the Discovery Channel. Who knew? <laughs> I, now I do. Sign me up. Stephen, I, I'd like to play a little game with you called <gasps> Chat Pack. We don't okay. have a lot of time left in our episode, but this is something we've done with many of our guest hosts and our guests. And are you game for this? Absolutely. Terrific. Pull one and okay. read that for us. Babe Ruth, James Dean, Elvis Presley. If you could bring back any deceased superstar for one final performance in their respective field, whom would you choose? Those wow. are just examples, right? Yes, those we're are not, just we're examples. We're not being asked to choose between, between those three. three. I think okay. those are just examples. You know, just because I'm a physical actor and I, I love physical comedy, I would love to see Charlie Chaplin. I know that... You Good know, answer. I would. I would love to just see him in person or just talk to him because he. I think he's brilliant uh, and he's inspired a lot of the work yeah. that I've done. What about you? Offhand, I would say Fanny Bryce in her prime. I would have loved to see how funny a person that really is. I actually likened someone to Fanny Bryce some months ago, a Bree Sudia. Oh my gosh. uh, We saw in. Did you see in Wonderful Town or did you see in Sweeney Todd? Wonderful Town. Okay. I'm sure she was great in Sweeney Todd, too. I mean, she blew me away in But her comic timing in Wonderful Town and just her stage presence was what I would imagine uh, Fanny Bryce was was like. That would be be really fun. Wow. That's a good question. Let's play one more. Okay. All right. This says, if you could take any job for just one month, what job would you like to have? Assume that you would have the skills and knowledge to perform the job adequately. You go first, Gary. Again, off the top of my head, I think a world-famous classical music conductor would be fun to do. (laughs) Well, I would love to see you do that. For a month, yeah. 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 I work work with quite a number of conductors and a lot of musicians, and I I, I watch them, and I watch their style, and I I think it would be a fascinating and and kind of a power-hungry type thing to do. (laughs) I would want to work in any department at Pixar. I think Pixar Animation Studios is, they're some of the best storytellers. I was just looking after my nephew a few weeks ago and um, we were watching WALL-E. Brilliant storytellers. Yeah. Just, they know how to really 
force your emotions. Would you want to write the stories? Would you I think want I would want to be in the brainstorming of the stories. The brainstorming I mean, of the like stories. Like to sit down yeah. and I would love to be able to be a fly on the wall when they sat down and talked about cars, Toy Story, Wally. I mean, they they had these shows sort of planned out, these movies, before they started working on them. Sure. But they all came out of really one meeting, which is fantastic phenomenal but that's what i would like to do i think they're very creative well what an excellent answer well i'm fascinated by this pixar answer of yours i would have never expected it but it, now it makes perfect sense oh yeah especially it's like working for google i mean i just feel yeah. like there's places where creativity is abound and and encouraged it's a good lead into our closing segment we always close the show with a segment i call the kiss of death Ooh. now it has nothing to do with you personally you saying uh, that? you're looking at me but it is a profile of someone who has passed recently that we like to talk about. Uh, they could be famous. They could be non-famous. They could be somewhere in between. Just someone who had an interesting life, and we like to celebrate that life. Uh, Peter Salas mm. uh, passed away. Peter Salas was the voice of the cheese-loving Wallace <laughs> in the Wallace and Gromit Wallace cartoons, and Gromit. Uh, claymation stop-motion animated films. Uh, Mr. Salas's odyssey as Wallace, a mild-mannered inventor who lives in a house full of contraptions with his intelligent and expressive dog, Gromit, <laughs> began in 1983 when the creator of the show asked Peter to read for the role in a student film, and his voice has been described as being as welcome as a pair of warm slippers mm -hmm. in an uncertain world. One of their first films was A Grand Day Out, where... They run out of cheese. Yes. And he decides, oh, well, I'll just, you know, I'll build a rocket ship and we'll go to the moon because the moon is made out of cheese mm -hmm. and we'll have all the cheese that we want. It's a hilarious movie. And, I love the Wallace and Gromit movies. And it, Wallace is drawn with a mouth that's actually bigger than his head. <laughs> yep. And he's got these big square boulder-like teeth. Not unattractive, but he, <laughs> but he big, is. Yeah. And when he says, cheese, no more cheese, Gromit. <laughs> His mouth is about six times wider than his head at that point. I mean, it's all claymation. Yeah. That's what's so fascinating about it. Yeah. They ran out of cheese, and he and his faithful hound, they build a rocket that takes them to the moon. When they land, Wallace slices cheese <laughs> off of the hilltops and out of craters, and they sample all kinds of cheeses. What imagination. Talk about being I in a mean, room when they thought up this story. Right? Who, well, who would think up a story like this? I, exactly. Cr amazingly creative people. I mean, and Gromit, I read, started as a cat. And then... Really? In, in, yeah, somewhere in the, you know, meetings about it, it changed into a, um, a loyal hound. And he doesn't speak. <laughs> nope. He's just really, really smart. Yeah. And he, gets, and he gets Wallace out of a lot of trouble. Mr. Salas uh, earned more renown as the voice of Wallace than he did in anything else in his career, even more than the 37 years he spent as a star of a BBC sitcom called Last of the Summer Wine, in mm. which he played one of three older gentlemen. 37 years on a sitcom. Holy cow. Yeah, that's a long time. When I'm acting in a play, he once said, I do get people shouting from the back of the theater, do no cheese, grummet. <laughs> I usually oblige. He said, well, a chap has to earn a living, doesn't yes. he? 
That's amazing. Uh, oh, Peter gosh. Salas was born uh, in February of 1921 in Twickenham, uh, a suburb of London. The younger Mr. Salas worked as a bank clerk for a weekly salary of one pound ten shillings. Now, I can't do the math on that, but that probably wasn't well, very lot, much. Yeah. He became a, an instructor at a radio school for the Royal Air Force, and it was there that a student asked him if he'd ever considered acting. Hmm. He said, no, no, I've always been interested in the theater, but I've never actually been on the stage. He wrote in his autobiography, Fading into the Limelight. That's a great name for your memoir. Um, <laughs> well, he agreed to the student's request that he be the leading man in a local production of Noel Coward's Hay Fever. Of that performance, he said, when I went onto the stage and spoke the lines, people laughed. Of course, I wasn't fooling myself. I knew they were laughing at Noel Coward. But nonetheless, they had heard what I'd said, and I hadn't knocked over any of the furniture. <laughs> he lay sleepless in his bunk after that first night. He, of course, had the acting bug. He was hooked. He went on to work on the British stage with Orson Welles, Laurence Olivier, and John Gielgud. On Broadway, he portrayed Dr. Watson in a play called Baker Street, which is a musical mm -hmm. uh, about Sherlock Holmes, uh, and a clerk in the John Osborne play Inadmissible Evidence. These are both in the 60s, 1965-66. Uh, on television, he was the star of The Diary of Samuel Pepys, a serial on the BBC, and the voice of Rat in the animated series The Wind in the Willows. Wow. He also had roles in various other British programs like uh, Doctor Who and Leave it to Charlie. In the later years of his life, he began to lose his vision to macular degeneration. He was almost blind, but no one knew it. Really? And he could still do the uh, voiceovers when he had to. To learn his lines, Mr. Salas used a scanning device, which he dubbed by the name of Jane. <laughs> I guess that was an early... Alexis or yeah, right. Siri, Alexa. <laughs> the machine would speak the written words of his script back to him, and that's, that's how, how he, he learned his lines. Yeah, and he said he would record what Jane would read back to him and then re-record what she said in his own voice and then learn the lines from listening over and over wow. and over again. Peter Salas, voice of Wallace in the Wallace and Gromit cartoons. Uh, other films that uh, he did were The Wrong Trousers, one yes, of my favorite I titles of film. any film. Uh, a Close Shave. Uh -huh. All three of those, A Grand Day Out and those two, they have 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? That's quite remarkable. That is quite remarkable. <laughs> and then they did a feature film called Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Uh-huh. That was recent. Very think, recent. Yeah. yeah, 2005. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd have the patience for it. Yes, that I don't is even, not a job. I don't even I think, think I would... could be on set. I'd be so, come on, come yeah. on. You can't just do one shot every 30 seconds. And how are we going to make it to our patience yeah. is the word. Stephen oh. Shellhart, thank you so much for your time today. Thank You've you, been Gary. a remarkably um, scintillating guest and uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Now, I love don't forget one. your cat's <gasps> tickets oh here. Um, the, ins the instructions on how to get them are all inside. Yeah. You've got your Joe Allen mints. I, I am set. Hey, everyone. <laughs> like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. If you uh, really, really love our show and you'd like to help support, go to our website at www.booth-one.com and click the donate button. It's easy. It's fast. And most importantly, it's tax deductible and it'll help us keep bringing remarkable guests um, like Stephen Shellhart to our program. Thanks again for listening. Uh, for Booth One, this is Gary Zabinski saying uh, so long and uh, see you next time. <laughs>